The skill sets of Trey Knox and the rest of South Carolina's transfer tight ends will greatly help Spencer Rattler and this passing game in 2023. You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina Gamecock athletics. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and also a staff writer for Gamecocks Digest over on SI.com. Thank you all so much for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen or watch here today. We are free and available both wherever you get your audio podcasts daily and also on YouTube. And real quickly, before we get into this Monday edition of Lockdown Gamecocks, I want to thank each and every one of the veterans who have served our country and have helped us keep our freedoms that we get to enjoy every single day. And also those that are unfortunately no longer with us. May you forever rest in peace. Yesterday afternoon, I was thinking about Trey Knox and South Carolina's newly reformed tight end room. Obviously, the Gamecocks tight end room is going to look completely different going into the 2023 season. And when looking specifically at the three transfer portal additions that the Gamecocks got in Trey Knox, Joshua Simon, and Nick Elksness, the skill versatility of those three guys will help Spencer Rattler and South Carolina's passing game going into this next season. And to get an idea of why these guys are going to be important, I want to take us back to a really big question mark that this offense has going into the fall, and that's going to be the offensive line, especially in terms of the running game. And I'll get into how they can help out in the running game later on. But to continue with the passing game, because the running game, in terms of blocking, might not be so great in 2023, Spencer Rattler's going to be throwing the football a lot, which combined with the O-line's subsequent deficiencies in pass protection, especially on those edges, that's going to put Spencer in a lot of tough situations, both given the overall situation up front and also the likely high volume of passing snaps he is going to have. So how can each of the transfer tight ends in Trey Knox, Joshua Simon, and Nick Elksness help out South Carolina's passing attack? Let's start off with Trey Knox. Trey Knox has got a really rare combination in the sense that he's got the size of a tight end, being listed at six foot five, 250 pounds on the roster right now. But he moves and catches the football like he is a wide receiver. And that's obviously because... Trey Knox used to be a wide receiver before transitioning to tight end for Arkansas, I believe, two seasons ago. Now, Trey Knox is going to be the main receiving tight end in this offense, which is probably going to have a lot of 11 personnel, meaning that there's just one running back and one tight end and three wide receivers somewhere in the formation the majority of the time. Trey Knox in this kind of role, he can be a quick safety valve option on some short yardage routes, maybe some spacing routes where he just tries to find literally open space on the field or also some out routes, which he did a lot in the spring game back in April. Trey Knox can also be a mismatch for 
both linebackers and defensive backs, specifically linebackers in the intermediate passing game and defensive backs in the deep passing game. And Trey Knox could also be the red zone threat for South Carolina's offense in 2023. Because the thing is, look, Antoine Juice Wells, he's a great wide receiver. There's probably not a whole lot that he can't do. But honestly, if there's one area that, you know, he might not excel at, it's probably being a jump ball type red zone threat. Trey Knox is going to help take that burden off of Antoine Juice Wells and the rest of the wide receiver course shoulders collectively and is going to serve as that option for Spencer Rattler this fall, which every single offense needs to have. So that's going to be very important for this team. Let's move on to Joshua Simon, the transfer tight end from Western Kentucky. Joshua Simon is a willing blocker who has served an H-back role in an offense before with the Hilltoppers. And he's also got good hands and underrated speed. In terms of what Simon is going to be asked to do, he is probably going to be more of that Swiss Army knife out of the tight end room this upcoming season because he is a guy that can help out in terms of blocking. He can work some chip and release concepts, which basically means that he helps, say, an offensive tackle block an edge rusher for a second or two before eventually releasing off of that edge rusher and then going and running some type of short yardage route. He could also be a guy that maybe is the H-back on one side of the formation, but ends up running across the field horizontally to the opposite side of the field, and with everything going on, he's kind of masked back there in the backfield, and he could get open on maybe some routes over in the opposite flat area where defenders are not accounting for him. He could also maybe do the exact same thing, except for maybe act as a pass blocker in certain blocking schemes. So Joshua Simon, in essence, he's kind of going to be like Nate Atkins for this team next season. I'm not going to sit here and say Simon is as good of a blocker as Nate Atkins. I'll get into who that likely is going to be in just a moment. But again, in terms of doing sort of a bevy of different things and not being afraid to dive headfirst into those roles, Joshua Simon is going to be a key piece of South Carolina's offense and will certainly help out in the passing game this fall. Now, the final transfer tight end that I'll get into is Nick Elksness. Now, Elksness is going to be primarily the blocking specialist out of this transfer tight end group. He's got the size here, being listed at 6'6", 252 pounds on South Carolina's roster, and again, he is not a guy that is afraid to put his head in there and really get after an opposing defender in blocking. Nate Atkins, especially in the latter portion of the 2022 regular season, was a guy that Marcus Satterfield and his offensive coaching staff, to their collective credit, started to sit back more as a running back in obvious passing down, and also was used in a lot of max protection blocking schemes, which will usually allot your quarterback much more time in order to be able to get his pass off while having two to three receivers actually running routes down the field. I see Nick Elksness fulfilling that same kind of role. Now, obviously, Shane Beamer and Dow Loggins, they're not going to have him go out there just for obvious passing down situations because that's too obvious of a tendency right there 
that opposing defensive coordinators would eventually catch on to. But Elksness is going to help South Carolina's passing game by not necessarily going down the field, but by staying back with the offensive line, being right there with Spencer Rattler, and again, being willing to do that dirty work that a lot of tight ends these days, especially compared to maybe days of old, are not as willing to do. So you combine all of these different skill sets and mentalities with Trey Docks and his receiving ability, Joshua Simon and the multiple things he can do within his skill set, and then Nick Elksness, who is going to be like Nate Atkins in terms of his mentality with blocking defenders. These three guys are all going to help Spencer Rattler and South Carolina's passing attack in their own different way in 2023. Now, these guys are not just going to help South Carolina's offense in terms of the passing attack, but they're also going to help out with the ground game as well. And I'll dive into how they're going to do that in just a couple moments right here on Locked on Gamecocks. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Now, look, y'all have heard me talk about Built Bar dozens of times now, probably. And at this point, honestly, the best I can say is this. If you have not tried out Built Bar, I really don't know what you're doing with your life. If you're looking for a protein bar that's covered in 100% real chocolate, that's got multiple flavors to choose from, that is easily accessible both online and in your local Walmart or Sam's Club, you need to go and try out Built Bars today. They're only 130 calories for the most part. They include 17 grams of protein and just 4 grams of sugar. If you go to Walmart to find Built Bars, go to the pharmacy section and you can grab yourself a 4-bar box of select flavors. At Sam's Club, you can find a 13-bar box and thus buy in bulk. And again, you will get select flavors in that box as well. You can go to either one of those two stores, or again, you can also go to Built.com. Built is where tasty is the new healthy. Welcome back to today's edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. Day. Thank you so much to all of you everydayers for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your daily choice for South Carolina Gamecock sports coverage. All right, let's continue our conversation surrounding South Carolina's new tight end room and how they're going to help out the Gamecocks offense in 2023. We talked about how they can help out Spencer Rattler in the passing attack early on in the show. Now, for just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about how these guys are going to help out the running game. And the way they're going to do this is through their collective athleticism and their size. Now, when averaging the height and weight for Trey Knox, Joshua Simon, and Nick Elksness, all three of these guys average out to be around six foot four and two third inches and 248 pounds. That's pretty good size right there for your top three tight ends on your depth chart. Now, all three of these guys are also now SEC football players. Joshua Simon has clearly proven his worth at Western Kentucky. Trey Knox obviously has four years of experience at Arkansas. And Nick Elksness played the first two years of his collegiate career at Florida. So all these guys, again, clearly possess the capability to play SEC football. So you combine that with their size. 
they're going to be able to help out Safran's running game, whether it is a zone run or a power run. In terms of zone blocking, again, as I've mentioned multiple times on this show before, zone blocking is essentially where you're sort of taking a diagonal angle down the field, and you're essentially blocking an area. If you got a guy that is in your lane, so to speak, then in a zone blocking run play, you're basically just trying to make sure that you wash that guy out and try to open up a lane right behind where your backside is so that the running back, therefore, has got a clear lane or pathway to go through the line of scrimmage and try to work his way up the field. With Trey Knox, Joshua Simon, and Nick Elksness, how are these guys going to help out in that aspect? Well, as I've mentioned, they've got the size to be able to seal off those lanes. But they've also, again, got the ability to move horizontally and vertically on the field. So, in terms of zone run plays, these guys are going to be able to help out South Carolina's offensive line units again a unit that's going to need a little bit of extra help this season because of the amount of transition that they are seeing from guys that have graduated and also maybe just some guys that have not quite developed up to where the coaches would like to see at this current moment that's how they're going to help out in zone run plays in terms of power run plays this usually involves you've got a particular gap or a particular defender that you are aiming for for Trey Knox, Joshua Simon, and Nick Elksness, all three of these guys, again, possess SEC speed at the tight end position, but all also have the size to go along with that. When you have that combination in a power run play, it is going to make it infinitely more difficult for opposing defenders to be able to get into South Carolina's offensive backfield. And in my opinion, that needs to be the main goal for South Carolina in terms of run blocking in 2023. Because what have we seen so many times over the past two seasons? We have seen a lot of running plays for South Carolina get blown up in the backfield before South Carolina's ball carrier could even get back to the line of scrimmage. And again, I've said this before, and I'm not afraid to say it again. I know that people don't want to talk about Marshawn Lloyd because he's no longer here in Columbia. I completely get that. But in terms of the running game last year, Marshawn Lloyd masked a lot of bad blocking plays from this offensive line because of the speed, the agility, and the ball care vision that that man had. South Carolina does not have a Marshawn Lloyd on their roster this year. Now, again, they've got good pieces in that running back room. But they don't have a guy that can essentially make up for mistakes that happened in other areas of the field during a particular run play. So, Trey Knox, Joshua Simon, Nick Elksness, and how well they can handle their one-on-one matchups when it comes to a power run blocking play is going to prove vital for this offense. Because, again, these running backs, they're not going to be able to really make up the difference with some of the issues that could take place up front. So these guys, they need to make sure that they perform the fundamentals correctly. And when it comes to tight ends and run blocking, you know, there's not a whole lot that you're exactly going to be asked to do. You don't have to blow guys up. You don't have to be driving guys back five yards down the field. The coaching staff would love it if they could do this consistently. 
But besides potentially Nick Elksness, I don't think this is quite the tight end room that's going to be seen doing that more often than not. So for these tight ends, the main goal just needs to be this. Do not let the opposing man get the better of you. Make sure that you at least sort of have a draw or a tie with them in your one-on-one. And that will be good enough for South Carolina's running game in terms of the running back room. And then as long as the offensive line holds up their end of the bargain and just gives them some kind of hole or lane, then South Carolina's running game will be just fine as they progress through the 2023 season. All right, now heading into the final portion of today's show, let's talk about the best news that South Carolina's baseball team could have possibly gotten on Sunday night, and probably the best news that they've honestly gotten uh, in the past five to six weeks. Because on Sunday night, it was announced by the NCAA's official baseball account on Twitter that South Carolina was going to be one of the 16 regional hosts for the NCAA tournament that is starting up later this week. Obviously, this was a bit of a surprise for people that have followed South Carolina's baseball team this season because, as we talked about now ad nauseum recently, South Carolina's baseball team has not done that great the last four weeks. We do not need to dive back into all the issues that they have had, but here's the entire point where I'm going to get at. This is a new season for South Carolina. And there's a few reasons why they're going to be able to now host home games instead of going out on the road. Firstly, South Carolina's RPI. The Gamecocks had the number eight RPI in the entire country. And when looking at the teams that were named regional hosts, this year, RPI was a really big deal to the selection committee. 14 of the top 16 teams NRPI were named regional hosts, with the two lone exceptions being Dallas Baptist and Campbell, who we'll dive more into in a few minutes. Another reason why South Carolina was named a regional host, we gotta be honest, the strength of the SEC helped out South Carolina's case this year. South Carolina, in terms of their conference schedule, they played six of the seven SEC teams who were named regional hosts on Sunday night. And that's not even counting the Tennessee Volunteers, who just barely missed the mark and were at the top of the two-seed line at the end of Sunday night. South Carolina ended up having the third highest strength of schedule in all of college baseball this year. The last reason why they got into the tournament as a regional host was they got the benefit of the doubt from the selection committee. A big question regarding whether or not South Carolina was going to be regional host going into the tournament was essentially, how is the committee going to view South Carolina's team? Are they going to look at the past four to five weeks and take those results alone? If that was the case, then the likelihood of South Carolina being regional host was essentially slim to none. If the committee was going to account the entire body of work for South Carolina, including their 34-6 and six start to the season, then there was going to be hope. There was going to be a chance that South Carolina would sneak in there as one of those final national seeds for the NCAA tournament. And for once, the past four weeks did not take up the significant portion of the selection committee's criteria when it came to evaluating teams like South Carolina. For so many years past, 
Both in baseball and basketball, we've seen the exact opposite, where having late losing skids hurt teams tremendously. Don't be wrong, it still hurts South Carolina because they went from being a lock as a top eight national seed to barely getting in as a regional host. But either way, they took in those first 40 games, and they clearly gave South Carolina the benefit of the doubt in terms of assuming that injuries likely played a massive role in what all happened in the last four weeks of the season. So RPI, their SEC schedule, and the selection committee all played a role in South Carolina being named a regional host. Now, what could this mean for South Carolina's morale or psyche, and what would a road trip have done to this team if they were not named a regional host? Well, in terms of South Carolina's psyche, Being a regional host, I mean, you have to think that that locker room is fired up right now. You do. This team has been looking for anything to be really happy about, to be prideful about for the past four to five weeks. They've been beaten down and battered by injuries, by obviously some miscues on their part. The schedule that they had to play at the end of the season, which was just a gauntlet looking back. And besides their blowout win against Georgia in the SEC tournament, they didn't really have a whole lot to show in Hoover. In my opinion, if South Carolina was not named a regional host and was a two-seed that was going to have to play in, say, Conway Regional or up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, or gosh forbid, if they had to go all the way up to Massachusetts to play Boston College in a regional I really feel like that would have been the straw that broke the camel's back. And I'm not even saying that because of the fact Campbell was involved here. Um, But South Carolina, if they had had to go on the road, I truly think that that would have broken them. I think that it just would have been the final, you know, we've taken too many gut punches. I'm mentally checked out. I don't care what happens the rest of the way. I really feel like that could have possibly happened to this team and a big collection of the players in that locker room if they did not get home field advantage for the regionals. But they did, and I think that's going to do wonders for this team, knowing that they're going to be playing in front of a home crowd that obviously is a bit frustrated with how they played recently, but you know that game cognition is going to be there, and they're going to be behind their team, despite what else happened over the past month. Because as we talked about, it's now a new season. What have we learned from previous years, both, again, in the baseball tournament, and the NCAA's men's basketball tournament, women's basketball tournament, you name it, we have learned that teams that are red hot going to the tournament and teams that are on a losing skid going to the tournament, you need to value all of them the same. It does not matter what you did in the past month leading into the tournament because now the games really count. Teams can catch fire. Teams can go ice cold. So a team like Clemson should not think that they're going to be able to just continue to do what they've done the past two months in the NCAA tournament. A team like South Carolina on the other end, it should not just be expected that they're going to go into the tournament and they're just going to once again just nosedive in every single facet of the game. I know it's going to be hard to do that because of what we've all seen the past month. But think about South Carolina's men's basketball team in 2017 when they went all the way to the Final Four. They did not look like a very good basketball team in the last couple weeks of the season and in the SEC tournament. South Carolina, again, as I mentioned, they went on to 
go to the Final Four, and were just a few plays away from making it to the National Championship game. Now, I'm not saying South Carolina is now going to turn around and do the same exact thing for the baseball team this year and go to Omaha, but here's my point. We have seen what this team can do. Just because the team's played so bad in the past few weeks does not mean that they cannot at least get back to two-thirds of what they were at the beginning of the season. If they can just do that, this is an Omaha-caliber team still. This is a team that is still better than about 90-95% to of this field. So South Carolina getting home field advantage, it's going to depend on, of course, who they end up getting in this regional. But I would not be shocked if South Carolina can make it to a super regional now, which, of course, they will have to do so on the road if they make it that far. But that leads me into the selection show. The NCAA selection show for the Field of 64 is going to take place at 12 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on ESPN2 later this afternoon. In terms of some teams to watch, I'm not going to go seeds two through four, but I did look at some teams that were projected two seeds either surrounding South Carolina's regional or maybe for South Carolina's regional late last night from D1 Baseball specifically. These are the teams that South Carolina fans need to look out for with the selection show. East Carolina, Duke, Campbell, Boston College, Southern Miss, NC State, and obviously there's going to be others. This is not every team that they might have play in the regional, but those are the teams that I have seen a lot of, again, either in the regional or sort of surrounding their regional, being maybe one line below or one line above. So, it's huge for South Carolina to get this regional in Columbia. There is no question about that. I think that it truly might help save their season. But now, of course, the Gamecocks do have to put in the work. They do have to now go out there and prove that the last four weeks was just a really bad skid and that they can get back to what they were doing. They are essentially getting a week off right now because they're going to start playing on Friday. The main things to watch for the rest of this week, who else is going to be available? We all know that Braylon Wimmer is going to be back probably in the field based on what Mark Kingston has said recently. Cole Messina. Of course, got a concussion because that's just been the luck of the team recently in the SEC tournament. So we'll see what his status is going throughout the rest of the week. Obviously, you can't play around with a concussion. So hopefully, Cole Messina is doing better. And I do think that this team needs Cole Messina if they're going to make it out of the regional either way. Will Sanders obviously has had a very up and down season. But in terms of just pure depth and experience being in this kind of spot... This team needs Will Sanders healthy. They need him back out there in that rotation. Noah Hall, obviously, will not be available for the rest of the season. Eli Jersenbeck's done. Uh, Will McGillis likely is done. Hate that for him. But this team needs a couple of important pieces to come back to ensure that they have a good chance to win their regional and potentially go on a run. Again, forget what's happened the last four weeks. It's over and done with. We can't change what's happened. But this baseball team now has a chance for a redemption story. The teams that win June go on to win it all. Think about Ole Miss last season. They were like the last team that made it into the tournament. They turned around and won the whole daggum thing. Why can't South Carolina make a run? So I leave y'all with those thoughts at the end of this show. 
Thank y'all for tuning into this Monday edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. Hope y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show. What are y'all's thoughts on Cyclone's tight end room? How do you think they could help both the passing game and the running game? What are your thoughts on the Gamecocks being a regional host for the NCAA tournament in baseball? Let me know your thoughts on all that in the comment section on YouTube or shoot me a direct message on Twitter at A-Line underscore SC if you listen to today's show on an audio podcast app. And one more time, Thank you to all of you veterans who have served to protect our country and our freedoms, both those who are with us and those who are no longer with us. We appreciate each and every single one of you. Have a great rest of your Monday and holiday weekend. I will catch y'all on the next show of the Lockdown Gamecocks Podcast.